Across the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the blooming heaven roars, you'll behold in breathless wonder. Welcome to Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is May of 1967. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Rob, this is a huge month for Marvel Comics. I feel like that's uh, a kingpin joke. Well, yeah, I mean, there is a kingpin story in this month. Uh, the kingpin in his first real appearance of doing anything. Uh, he kidnaps J. Jonah Jameson. He brings Spider-Man to his knees when he uh, attempts to rescue Jonah. Um, Ronan the Accuser makes his first appearance in Fantastic Four, as well as the Kree Supreme Intelligence. Um, and uh, in Strange Tales, there is an amazing Steranko story in there, uh, a Nick Fury uh, Steranko story that feels literally decades ahead of its time. Like it is so, so modern. Uh, we're not going to talk about any of that this episode. We've got something <laughs> so much bigger in store. Uh, it's the debut of a brand new Marvel comic. It shook the foundations of the comics industry to its very core. It's the very first issue of Not Brand Eck. God, not Brand Eck. <laughs> That's how I want you to introduce me. <laughs> and that enthusiastic voice you hear. Uh, <laughs> Through your ear holes. Uh, well, we had to bring uh, a, a comedy scientist on to make sure we got everything right here. Right, I can solve not brand X. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's the co-founder of Hilarity Repository 1900hotdog.com. You read his articles on crack.com before they completely ruined it. And if you worked on licensed video games for THQ in the early 2000s, he probably made you cry. Live from the internet, straight into your ear holes, it's Sean, baby. Yay! It's Yay. a real pleasure to be back. <laughs> well, I remember of. last time I was here, I challenged you to find a, a more easily escapable um, treacherous scheme than the time Magneto put the X-Men in a bubble and sort of gently floated them into the sky. <laughs> and I was yes. wondering uh, how progress is coming on that. Uh, we, I mean, we struck out so far. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what I figured. Some yeah. plastic bubble experiments. Red Skull was doing some plastic bubbles around cities and people. Uh, mm -hmm. But but the thing is, Red Skull is generally fighting Captain America, who has sort of just the one power is he's very clever and fit. Whereas right. the X-Men have hundreds of ways to get out of that bubble. Like any single one of them had <laughs> yes. multiple options. Yep. Oh, yes. And yeah. it's like, that took care of that. They're sort of floating away. They have <laughs> I-beams, seven of them fly. <laughs> Well, you, uh, you you did miss out on the uh, last issue of X-Men we read where uh, Roy Thomas gave the juggernaut in his second appearance all of the mental powers of Professor X as well as his regular juggernaut powers. Wow. And he used them to hide behind crates in the X-Mansion and <laughs> pull a lever that turns stairs into a ramp. And that's how he took out Professor X. Uh, how he took out the entire X-Men. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. The ramp like took out the X-Men? They tumbled down the ramp? Yep. Yep. And then he was waiting behind some crates. So you might have actually found one. That sounds dumber than the one we, yeah, we talked about. Yeah, that's time. double Omega power and just hiding behind crates. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for joining us again. I, I would apologize for making you read this hideous comic, but um, I think we're going to have a lot of fun yeah, with it. You know I love it. You know it's <laughs> my whole raison d'etre. I just think I'm saying that right. Yeah, we, that's, that's right. We talked about Batroc last time. I was, I was gonna say, we did, is Batroc in the room with us right now? 
now you are the voice of Batra. So yeah. Uh, to me, mon ami. <laughs> so so when when Patton Oswalt's Modoc cartoon shows up, like you have to audition for the voice of Batra. That's a good idea. We know each other too. I, I have his email. Uh-huh. I'll send him a video message. <laughs> Won't even give him any context, so to speak. You'll know what I'm auditioning for, Baton. <laughs> I've been watching Pepe Le Pew cartoons all day. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe you're making me read for this. You know I'm perfect. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I want to get into the the comics here, uh, but we got to do. Uh, we got to stick to our format. We're going to uh, talk about uh, what was going on in the world in May of 1967, so a little historical context, uh, and then we'll uh, open wide the gates of hell. Um, uh, Rob, would you like to kick us off with uh, what was going on in May 1st, 1967? Yeah, May Day, 67. Elvis Presley and Priscilla Boulou. Boulou? Boulou? We need Batra. Boulou? (laughs) Um, it's very French. There's a ton of, um, it's just vowels with a couple of consonants. You want to uh, put your words. tongue in the back of your throat is the key to pronouncing French. That's <laughs> <laughs> how you say it. So Elvis and Priscilla got married in a brief civil ceremony at the Aladdin Hotel in Las Vegas. She was uh, nine years old, if I remember. Uh, <laughs> sounds right for, <laughs> for the era of rock and roll. Um, not his cousin. So... Elvis got married in Vegas. Is that where like the whole getting married in Vegas by an Elvis? Like, did it start with Elvis? Is he, was he married by an Elvis? Maybe he's Uh, Er Elvis. That's blowing my mind. What if he was married by an Elvis? What if his whole persona was, was invented by like the preacher who married him. And he's like, Hey, I like, (laughs) I like the way you dress. Like sort of big Elvis was uh, born right there. That was the transition from like jailhouse rock Elvis to Cape and karate Elvis. Yep. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's get history, man. The second. So led by Huey P. Newton, a group of 40 members of the Black Panthers armed with shotguns, rifles, and pistols forced their way into a session of the California House of Representatives at the state Capitol building in Sacramento as a protest against gun control. Wrap your head around <laughs> all of that. that. Worked. Yeah. I actually, I, I, I noticed, I saw uh, on my Twitter feed the other day, I saw like a bunch of like armed black men in the streets, like doing sort of a protest. And I remember thinking like, you know, it's it's funny when I see a bunch of black people with guns, I just instantly know they're the good guys. And it's totally the opposite with white guys. Yep. And it's just like, <laughs> what? Cause I mean, I grew up in the country. I grew up around racism and I bet I wouldn't have thought that if I was like nine years old, but like yes. now it's just with total certainty. If I see 40 black dudes with guns, I'm like, okay, they're the good guys. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm on their team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then on uh, May 8th, in a 7-2 decision in the case of Red Rupp versus New York, the United States Supreme Court reversed convictions for sale and distribution of obscene books and magazines, concluding that under the First Amendment, the state may not in- constitutionally inhibit distribution of literary material as obscene unless three conditions were met. So listen to these three conditions. Yeah, lay them on me. <laughs> the dominant theme must appeal to a prurient interest in sex. The material must be patently offensive, and the material must be utterly without redeeming social value. The reason I'm bringing this up, I think one of our comics this month, <laughs> all three of those definitions. Oh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I can prove it. So once That's, we get there, I'll call them out. Okay. Uh, on the 12th of May, that's my lovely Barb's birthday. Um, 
Congratulations. The Jimi Hendrix. She wasn't born in 1967, but uh, a little thereafter, you would never know it. So the Jimi <laughs> Hendrix experience debuted Sweet with- save! Sweet <laughs> save, Rob! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just going to go dig a it's hole a good right thing now. I think she doesn't listen to this show. Yeah, it, maybe this will, be one, this will be one she listens to in whatever a few weeks when it comes out, and I will get, uh, you know, just killed in my sleep. Like I've always been waiting. Like you deserve. Yeah. <laughs> um, so on the 12th of May, the Jimi Hendrix Experience debuted with the release of its first album, Are You Experienced? On the 18th, the state of Tennessee repealed its law that made the teaching of evolution a criminal offense. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Good job, Tennessee. Uh, go. 1967, huh? Yep. <laughs> The, the same law that had, had led to the famous Scopes Monkey Trial, the states of Arkansas and Mississippi would be the last to prohibit the teaching of evolution, and the U.S. Supreme Court would strike down the remaining state laws as unconstitutional on November 12th, 1968. Yeah, so Tennessee was the last state to give up the, <laughs> that law. Right. Uh, it was and then, literally criminal. That's hilarious. Yeah. I like the idea of being a teacher like the day after that passes and you're finally allowed to teach children evolution and just you blow their fucking minds. <laughs> <laughs> you know all that stuff we've been saying about 5,000 years and whatever? Yeah, yeah. Man, if, if ever there was a reason to just turn your chair around backward and have some real talk with your student, <laughs> like that's the one right there. It's also a really complicates thing because like if you're lesson plan is God made everything and did everything. Like you're kind of done. Like I just gave you the entirety of third grade for that school. Yeah. Right? Now all of a sudden you're like, have to teach them so much in, in all new directions. It's going to get super expensive too, because now you need more than just one textbook. That right. yeah. yeah. You can't just point to the sky and say, that's what made everything you idiot. <laughs> you don't even need a book for that. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to take us in a super happy direction. Oh, boy. Uh, on the 20th of uh, May 1967. Uh, so you remember how uh, two months ago we said that the U.S. had hit its peak of service members uh, killed in Vietnam? Yeah. Uh, well, we got a new record. So uh, between May 14th and 20th, a record 337 Americans had been killed in battle in the Vietnam War in a single week. Oof. Um, those deaths also marked a new milestone of more than 10,000 American servicemen killed in action. This gets so crazy. I don't think we should have done that one. That's a bold what? stance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to go out on that limb on a public forum? I'm doing it. I don't even give a fuck. <laughs> All right, man. You're going to have to deal with the tweets. <laughs> and then uh, last note I have here uh, on the, the 21st of May, uh, a, a Canadian professional wrestler by the name of uh, Chris Benoit was born in oh, Montreal. So. Another happy ending. Uh, well, well, yours will real bummer. Brian. I know. I ended that on a real sad note. Uh, fortunately, we've got so much hilarious comedy waiting yeah, for us. Not Brand X. That'll cheer us up. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, uh, let's let's go ahead uh, take our first break of the episode, uh, and then when we come back, uh, we'll start talking funny books here on Marvel by the Month. Here's the quick hits of the issues we're not going deep on um, because we needed to spend time talking about the worst comic that I've ever read. So, <laughs> uh, what a treat. In May 1967, um, Amazing Spider Man number 51 had the Kingpin making a move against J. Jonah Jameson by kidnapping him. 
and he absolutely destroys Spider-Man when he tries to save JJ. Uh, Avengers number 42, the Avengers and the couch surfing Hercules defeat Diablo and Dragon Man and beat up Goliath in order to rescue the Wasp. He'll join the enemies at the drop of a hat. Like this guy, he has no spine. Uh, he has no integrity. He's just like, well, this is the path of least resistance. So here I go. Yeah, and, and the wasp was really easy to capture. You just like take your shirt off and she'd be like, mm, yum. She would fall into every thirst trap imaginable. <laughs> uh, in FF number 65, the Kree Supreme Intelligence detects the destruction of Century 459, if you're keeping track, um, from last issue and dispatches Ronan the Accuser to punish the Fantastic Four unsuccessfully. And he doesn't just accuse, he he does the whole judge, jury, and executioner thing all in one. It's really quick. It's a yeah, very... Yeah, I feel like efficient. just calling him the accuser really undersells him. Sergeant Fury, number 44, the story is called The Howler's First Mission. And we would like to tell you about it, but it's not on Marvel Unlimited. And we weren't going to go out to some COVID bins and find that issue to read it for you. Um, so that one, you're on your own. Uh, Strange Tales number 159, Jim Steranko gives us a day in the life story of Nick Fury between missions, and it feels like something that should have come out in the late 1970s. It's like way ahead of its time. Uh, while Doctor Strange confronts the return of Baron Mordo because he has been gone for like two issues, so it's time to get that going again. Yep, um, yep. Tales of Suspense number 92, Iron Man goes to Vietnam to fight the Vietnamese Tony Stark. Um, oh. <laughs> his name is Half Face. Well, wow. <laughs> I remember. I remember Half Face. <laughs> oh man, this, you know, it, I, I was I wrote up the notes for this bit, and and that was literally the least racist way I could describe quickly like what happens in that story but these are all things that they say in the issue and then i left out a lot of other things uh captain america uh fought to prevent the assassination of nick fury um that was also in in tales of suspense number 92 tales to astonish number 94 namor fights a dictator named dragor who turns out to be a tiny villain named the gnome in a robot suit <laughs> uh, and then the Hulk is sent into space so for the first stupid. time. <laughs> I am, I am the gnome. Here's the thing: like that's his whole name. Yeah, that's not the first time they've done that exact plot. Like, oh, I think Captain so America good. fights a giant Korean or Vietnamese commissar. I think he's called the commissar, right? And okay. it turns out that it's just like a tiny little commie, like inside of a giant robot suit. Oh yeah, when the Hulk was sent into space, that was. Uh, to help the high the high evolutionary, right? He's so yeah. high. Um, gathering some data, just seeing what happens when you throw the Hulk into orbit. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, that was the first time he got sent into space, and he gets sent into space a lot. That's like yep. one of his jams. Yeah. Um, I did love when they were doing the uh, Civil War. They're like, you know, I don't want to write Hulk into this. Shoot him into space, <laughs> and then of course we got Planet Hulk, which was fucking awesome. So like, yeah, good things came from it. Yeah. And Hulk always wanted to get off the earth. I mean, from, from about this time, he's just like, everybody hates me. I just want off the planet. Like mm -hmm. he'll shake down anybody who might have a chance. That's why he tangled with silver surfer last month. He was just trying to get him to send him off planet, but surfers uh, grounded right now to earth. So much like Hercules, Hercules and the surfer are both grounded to earth. And the last of, of these, uh, 
quick hits is quick X-Men number 34, the X-Men journey to the center of the earth and wind up right in the middle of a turf war between Tyrannus or Tyrannus and the Mole Man. Um, they both each have built giant robots of different materials to fight each other. Uh, I bet that was so bad. It, yeah. it is it is and was and <laughs> it just went through but it, i had read brand x so everything seemed like a yeah. fresh brilliant idea from that. Yeah, yeah yeah i do love the the idea that because i think we've we've seen before like this is not the first time like tyrannus and the mole man have have tangled with each other so i like the idea that just like in the marvel universe at this time there's just these two dudes and their armies just you know like constantly going at it you know under the surface of the earth and no one cares really but it's keeping them busy so they're not you know out stealing cities or anything so did the x-men go down there to fight them or did they just like happen to be down there and wandered into it i think someone got kidnapped yeah they're like yeah. a friend of jeans ted ted roberts brother ted roberts brother got kidnapped he's the cobalt <laughs> oh, man, man you if do you remember. not you do not mess with ted roberts brother yeah <laughs> you don't he knows all about cobalt, which all of a sudden oh. is a big thing in the Marvel universe. There must have been like something in the headlines about like <laughs> cobalt is the new whatever. And, right. And, Stanley's yeah. doctor said, you got way too much cobalt in your blood. It's driving you insane. <laughs> uh, the only cobalt notable... say, I'll put this into the story. <laughs> uh, the River Lathe was uh, mentioned as a actual thing in this uh, story too it, and it wiped the memories of people who got near it it's so weird since hades actually exists in this universe right. too yeah i'm like what uh okay it's like oh you got a second river that does this or does this <laughs> one get to hades eventually you're, through like the you know your dress yeah, it's just a tributary it's a tributary yeah. to the river sticks <laughs> yeah and then like later on they'll try to kind of shade that and say it's like oh these are just like alternate dimensions you know sure. or, like different versions of afterlife but it's like right now it's like nope literally you know, you go down like three miles. It's right down there. That's that's the the Greek underworld. Let's let's uh let's actually talk about one of these uh, in detail uh, a little bit. Um, I want to jump into Thor number one forty two. We had such a good time talking about Thor last time. Um, uh, I, I love, wanted to gloss right over Thor. it, and Sean forced us to cover it, and mm -hmm. it was the correct decision. Um, so uh, this is uh, let's say Thor one forty two, written by Stan Lee, the arts by Jack Kirby, with Vince Coletta inking. Uh, the story is called The Scourge of the Super Scroll. This comic rules yep. and is so stupid. Yep. Mm -hmm. Correct. <laughs> it's, such, it's the perfect Thor issue. It opens with a guy, like Thor's just standing in the street. And I think there's even like, like a panel or like a little box that explains like, yeah, dude, we don't know why Thor's standing in the street. Just walk off. And the guy in the motorcycle is like, hey, you want to race Thunder Dad? <laughs> and Thor's like, it does truly strike my fancy. Therefore, I do say so be it. He's instantly talked into this race. And, the yeah. guy, and he's like, okay, we can't race here. And the guy's like, chickening out already? And so Thor takes him into space. Just like, all right. Shoots into space on the guy's lap. Thor gets on his bike puts the guy on the back of his bike and then yeah. just Makes whirls the, the hammer and takes the back oh. of his own bike. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's been this punked out ever. It's like, real good. Also, I, I've spent a little bit of time on the back of a motorcycle just on, you know, roads. And mm -hmm. I had some terrifying moments. If you took that motorcycle and just flung it up into the air, I would right. definitely crap my pants. Like yeah. no doubt. If you if you wobbled like two degrees in any direction, you're rolling that bike and falling to your death. Yeah. Like yeah. Thor, <laughs> Thor flies by flinging his hammer into the sky and hanging on to this the back of it. Like this is not like a stable 
<laughs> like, he, he shoots into the sky with like all the elegance of a mortar round. Yep. And this guy's like bike is just haphazardly attached to the back of it. Yeah. It's attached yeah. to nothing. Just as much as Thor wants to thigh master the bike, basically. Yeah. Right. Uh, yep. This is all because the guy talked about four seconds of smack to Thor, and Thor's mm-hmm. like, all right. I'm going to terrify you to death. (laughs) But Thor's also so stupid. Like you don't quite get if he's doing it on purpose. Like if he's really teaching this guy a lesson or if he's just like, let's no, let's just fly around. That's the kind of thing I do with Thor. Like he, he was talking about taking him into space and racing a comet. Yeah. And it might have just not occurred to him that he would die if they got too far out of orbit. (laughs) And also like to, to take one step back from this, I love the fact that this basically results. I mean, you know, Stan Lee didn't, suggest this as part of the script because he wasn't giving Kirby scripts at this point like Jack wanted to he he, he had an idea he's like I want to have a guy on a motorcycle challenge Thor to yeah. a race and I want Thor to almost kill him in the sky <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm drawing it yeah add, add some word bubbles to this stand make sense out of this stand <laughs> and he just went with it like I I love the fact that I mean Kirby was producing such a huge volume of stuff at this point he did not think twice about anything. He may not have fully thought through once on a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> That's why he and Stan were the best, because neither one of them ever thought anything through. It's terrific. It's just like pure id on the page. Yeah, just it's there. The way they create is the way somebody in a barrel rolls down a hill. It's just like we're moving and we're moving fast, and that's <laughs> that's how we're creating. We just I hope it's we gone. Don't die. Yeah. We saw it. I'm dizzy. It's gone. Next. Um, yep. Yeah. Oh man! But eventually they do get to a plot in this comic because Loki is trapped in what they describe as a lonely, endless space-time continuum. Like he's just in some sort of a limbo dimension, but he can still astral project and have influence over over things. So he's like, yeah. So like, I mean, this is something that Odin did to him after the last time he tried to, you know, conquer Asgard and kill all the gods uh, that he's related to. Um, So. It's like, I don't know if Odin is just, he has a really hard time disciplining his kids or if he's just terrible at coming up with places to put Loki. But like, he just, he does not think through his prisons very well because this is how Loki, anytime Loki's in prison, this is the exact same thing he does. Every this is like the third time he's, yeah. he's projected his mind to suggest to some other villain to mess with Thor. That's just, yep. so maybe just put a Magneto helmet on him or something, you know, and then chain <laughs> him idea. to a cliff or make him become a tree or whatever you do with Loki, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and who does, and who does he, uh, who, which supervillain does he pick out of, uh, out of the Marvel universe this time? One of the greats. It's the super scroll. (laughs) Yes. The best. So, so what happens is he like whispers in his ear. He's like, Oh dude, you got to go kill Thor. And he just takes off for earth. There's not like, he's not like, what is this buzzing in my mind? I've got this urge. He just silently shoots towards earth. And yep. just starts fucking shit up, just like yeah. blowing up cars. And I don't even know if he knows where Thor is. I mean, he probably knows that he's near the Fantastic Four, so he just like went to Manhattan. But like, he does it right outside of Donald Blake's office. Like he's there at work. Thor is in his civilian uh, persona, yeah. just watching cars explode. He's like, "Oh, I gotta go fight this guy as Thor." 
Like yeah. that's how quickly it happens. Yeah, yeah. And and when he first shows up, he's just like flying over the sky and his he, he's as the human torch uh, and he's just like blasting with both hands and there's like terrified people running <laughs> like, and you know, I mean, they can't show it because of the comics code, but he's absolutely just like lighting people on fire all oh, the yeah, There are yeah. casualties in this mess. Yeah. yeah. I, I wrote down a word bubble because uh, one person screams, it's the human torch, he's gone mad. And their friend <laughs> screams, no, it's not the torch, it's someone else with the same power. <laughs> just love it. I just love it that we already know that, but they're still explaining it to us anyway. Love it. And that friend deserves to be punched in the arm. Like I was punched in the arm by my brothers whenever yeah. I pointed out something like that. Yeah. No, he has pointy ears. It's very clear. It's not the same flaming man. And they're just <laughs> shut up. Yeah, yeah we, we know. We yeah, have better things to worry about. Yeah, we're trying not to die from fire. <laughs> it's very hot right now. That car melted. Yeah. So yeah. Thor, Thor puts him out with a tornado. And yep. as you'll as you'll see in uh, the Daredevil issue we're going to read, Thor can make very specific types of tornadoes. Like, <laughs> yes. This one uh, is just designed to put out a flaming man uh, semi-permanently. It's not like he's like, okay, yeah, you blew some wind on me. I'll just light back on fire. It's like, no, no, no. This lasts for five to six minutes. And, because um, that's how tornadoes work. Right. So then he uses the power of the thing and he throws a roof at Thor. And... Um, as always, uh, th see, this is, I think, where Stan and um, Jack don't work together very well, because Jack Kirby draws these beautiful fight scenes where it's one guy throwing a building at another guy. You're like, okay, I think I get what's happening. And then Stan right. Lee will add, got to use all of my skill to dodge this building. And, and it's like, he'll take four paragraphs to explain this dude getting out of the way of the flying building. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, Stan, I think, I think we get it. What this page needs is a lot of word balloons <laughs> so that I can slow down the pace of the action and suck a whole drama out of it. It's perfect. I mean, this is still driving me crazy. When the, somebody is running around just narrating what they are doing, right. it's not that Stan is narrating from that perspective. It is Super Scroll talking about what he's right. doing. Speaking of narrating, Thor is loudly complaining that his opponent has four superpowers, but he's Thor. He has... Minimums. If you started listing Thor powers right now, we'd be right. done at fucking 11 p.m. Like, <laughs> and then we get a quick aside back in Asgard where um, we learn that what are, what are these folks called? The enchanters. Uh, the deadly enchanters uh, have been discovered in Ringsfjord. Um, so uh, Balder and Sif are, are dispatched by Odin to go uh, figure out what's going on there. So this is teeing up the next storyline. Um, we also kind of get the idea that Baldur's got a little crush on Sif, which is going to oh. get problematic. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? She's a lovely lady. Mm -hmm. um, also, Thor knew her as a child, and uh, the first time he saw her as an adult uh, made it really clear that he was pretty horny for her, and he remembered having her on his knee when she was a little girl. All uh, in so, one panel. Yeah. Yep, wow. all in one panel. Yeah, that was a Stanley dialogue. <laughs> creepy, <laughs> creepy creepy yeah and um balder's thing is that everything loved him right that was yes. like the, okay yeah except, except mistletoe mistletoe yes, yes. i remember yeah. that now <laughs> yeah so that would include sif i would imagine like thor cannot leave that dude alone with his girl he really shouldn't mm -hmm. yeah but not the sharpest tool in the shed as we've discussed honestly so, i i tuned out that whole part because <laughs> thor is fighting super scroll and the comics like <laughs> Hey, let's go talk about these Asgardians. I mean, like, I can't think of anything more boring than cutting yeah. to Asgard in the middle of a Super Scroll fight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so let's get back to that Super Scroll fight. Uh, so we come back to it, and Thor is dangling off of the side of a building by the hammer. By his hammer. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. 
Um, and then we see the Super Scroll go after Thor using Reed Richards' stretching power in way better ways than Reed has ever used it. Absolutely. Like, yeah, that's like, Super Scroll's thing. Is he's like not just got all their powers, but he's also really awesome with them. Yes, like, he'll turn invisible and then punch somebody. Right. Rather than just you know it, wander into traffic. It took him a <laughs> while though to mix powers. I was like, wait, is the because Super Scroll, as I remember, can like have one thing arm and have one arm stretching or a thing arm that stretches you know it's like anything goes just mix them together but so far he has been like i am fire i am stone Mm -hmm. yeah and and so i mean this this goes on for a little while and then thor uh he summons a storm puts out uh super scrolls flame a second time and then this is my favorite part uh so the we're we're getting like on page 14 here we've only got two more pages because thor stories are always short and so uh, Thor basically wins the fight by deciding that it's time to win the fight. Like, yeah. he's just it, like, okay, this has been fun, but... The most you know. bullshit move of all yeah. time. <laughs> well, he, it's, it's another, like, gimmick hammer power. <laughs> so he charges Mjolnir up with an anti-force uh, that sends a super scroll all the way back specifically to his spaceship. Yeah, he literally and, has a go-home ray. And, and even the writers didn't know what to call it. There's anti-force sure and scroll, scroll is screaming, I am helpless, caught in the grip of a force. I cannot begin to comprehend. And they're like, yeah, we we get it. We're yeah. there too, buddy. Yep. We can't comprehend right this either. Um, and also, yeah. yeah, again, it's like when those kinds of powers show up, much like Professor X waiting till all the X-Men get beat up to mind blast somebody. Right. Um, it's just, it, this This would, I mean, obviously be a one one panel story if it's like it's the super scroll i send you back once you came with my auntie whatever and uh that's yeah. it story use done. that every open every fight with that door <laughs> yeah exactly it's like voltron's sword it's like use that first you, know, <laughs> you got about your sword voltron <laughs> there was another part i really liked in this fight too where oh, yeah? um super scroll hits thor with a body shot and then picks him up for a press slam and then he literally stops the fight to explain like the concept of a body slam he's yes. like <laughs> I caught you off unaware, off balance. And now before you have time to whirl your suddenly useless hammer. Again, this is a direct quote. He's screaming this. Mm-hmm. He says, I'll dash you to the ground below as I would hurl a limp and helpless puppet. He just explains a body slam to him. And, and of course, during that time, Thor recovers and he remembers he has the anti-force ray. Yeah. And it's a great, it's a great Jack Kirby move too. So like he, Thor is sort of like up on top. It's hard to describe it. He's like, his body is on top of Super Scroll's head, and then he just sort of flips in the air. Like it's a <laughs> right. thing. Like you can't. There's no leverage there. There's no way you can actually do this in real life. But it just he just draws Thor flipping and Super Scroll flying backward, mm. and you just don't question it because Kirby can make stuff like that look really good and just totally it made plausible. sense to me. That's how Eddie Guerrero used to get out of the press slam. Yep, <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, and I've I've seen this uh, inspire a thousand kung fu movie moves. You know, right. so it's like yep. uh, somehow in rolling from being held above them to getting onto their shoulders, I've made got enough momentum to now just somersault yep. us both. It's literally every female attack in a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. Like that's how <laughs> Black Widow wins every fist fight. She jumps on the face and does a somersault. Yep, a flip. yep, a Hurricane Rana or something. Yeah. Yeah, and and the other thing I really liked about the story is that uh, Thor makes it really clear uh, toward the end of the fight that he could have killed the Super Scroll basically at any point, but he pledged not to take a life, which, I mean, anyone who's read any Norse mythology 
it's like really does that yeah. <laughs> when, when did you make that pledge like in 1954 when the comics code became a right thing? yeah once he hit ten thousand or so he's like you know i'm gonna, I'm gonna take a break i'm yeah. just i don't want to be just the guy who kills everybody so yeah yeah <laughs> what's well, a good thing he has the go home ray <laughs> yes. it's real real nice coincidence well uh, this is not the only Thor story we have this month to talk oh, about. We have a double true. dose of Thor, which is, makes us one of the best months of Marvel Thank Comics. God um, for Thor. And in the perfect episode to have Sean on. So uh, let's go ahead and take a break. Um, and then, uh, Rob, uh, when we come back, how would you like to walk us through Daredevil number 30? I would love to. daredevil number 30 daredevil 30 daredevil 30 daredevil 30 <laughs> and guess who's back uh, the title is if there should be a thunder god this is written by stan lee art by gene colon with john tartaglione uh, the story opens in the offices of nelson and murdoch where foggy is reading the details of a recent robbery to matt the i love it i love it so much because it's sort of like a puzzle like oh one guy snuck through the air vent. The other guy's super strong. Hmm. And then <laughs> you're thinking, oh, this is, yeah, this is a fun puzzle for me, the reader. And Daredevil immediately spoils the whole thing. He's like, oh, yeah, you're talking about Cobra and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he actually thinks that word bubble, because uh, Foggy's like, oh, are you, are you trying to solve this because you want to, like, defend them in court? And Daredevil thinks very carefully, I just want to take off and fight them. <laughs> Which I love that he's just driven by this need for conflict yep, but he yeah. also thinks in like abbreviated words like he like his internal monologue is kind of hillbilly I he's got it. a lower class internal monologue than his normal lawyer yeah, speech. yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's just full of just working class irish catholic rage he's ready to vent it at any moment i gotta go punch those <laughs> what are you thinking about matt a big case oh i'm gonna punch him <laughs> So he comes up with a, he knows it's Cobra and Mr. Hyde, and he comes up with a foolproof plan to lure them out. Oh, uh, he thinks good. this one way through. Yeah. Uh, he knows they're Thor's adversaries, so he's going to dress up as Thor and swing around the city until they appear. This is Marvel. That sure. works. That's oh, totally Remember, boring. Daredevil's powers involve heightened senses. <laughs> yep. And the... Bad guys in question have a very noisy MO. They tear the door off of a bank vault. <laughs> and while Daredevil's forming this plan, they do it again. They like smash open a window and two guys are like, oh, hey, someone is breaking into that bank. And Hyde is going to um, kill the guy, if I remember. And then Cobra's like, no, 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 leave them alive. So they'll tell people about us. So they're specifically not secret about what they're doing. They're right. advertising. Yes. Yeah. And and Hyde is apparently powered up from the last time we met him, and he was already a, a pretty strong fellow. So uh, we now, okay, now so now we get to Daredevil <clears throat> with his plan to dress up as Thor uh, and swing around the city, uh, but he wants to wear his Daredevil costume under his Thor costume. Right. right. So he, he needs to use skin-colored plastic to cover up the parts of his Daredevil costume where Thor has bare skin, which is quite a bit. 
uh, arms and face. You <laughs> it's know. like uh, half of his upper body. Yeah. yeah. What I love about it is obviously this is impossible. Anyone with any knowledge of cling wrap understands that you can't get orange <laughs> cling wrap and make that look like human flesh. <laughs> but also this is a blind man and no matter what his superpowers are, to like hear and smell, like you're not going to be able to to like verify that this looks okay. Right. Right. <laughs> you wouldn't even be able to verify if it's orange without like having someone come in, like a professional costume designer, and say, "Hey, I need you to make me look like Thor, but also not tell anybody I'm doing this." It's so <laughs> insane in so many directions at once. Yeah. Can you imagine like going into a costume shop and saying, "I need a Thor costume," and they're like, "Okay, well, you know, here's here's the cape, and here's the tunic, here's the the big yellow boots, here's the hammer and the helmet." It's like, okay. Now, how about the flesh-colored sleeves? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Why would you do this? Well, I'm trying to lure out two guys who have no chance in a fight against Thor and get them to leave their bank robbery to go pick a losing fight with a guy who has a go-home ray. <laughs> okay. Yep. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's flawless. But of course, uh, the costume that he whips up on his own, apparently, in the closet of the you know the attorney at law office um uh, with the flesh-colored plastic skin <laughs> plastic uh he wants to test it on foggy and karen so he wears it who he his... loves gaslighting yeah <laughs> he cannot get enough <laughs> of lying to these people um, yeah. also we've already got he's already invented this uh mike murdoch um character to explain why Daredevil is so closely associated with Matt Murdock. So he's right. got this a fake identity of his twin right. who is supposed to be the identity of Daredevil. And now he's wearing, now he's dressed, he's Mike Murdock disguised as Daredevil disguised wearing the Thor costume. Right. So it's this. And what's what's and great about Mike Murdock is that his disguise is sunglasses. Right. So he's yep. got sunglasses on under the Thor mask. No, yeah. he's got sunglasses on under the under the data. You're right, with under a Thor mask on top of that. Yes, yes. I I just like to imagine what that head shape looks like at this point <laughs> with, yeah. with that much stuff on. Uh, <laughs> he's like, I am. Like, what are you saying? There's this person covered in garbage in our office. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so of uh, course he tricks them with his i i mean also just like lips and teeth like what how yeah, anyway yeah don't even um and what's great is he's swinging the th the hammer around which he got from the costume shop and he's like hold on a second there's one more thing i need to do i need to switch the hammer to my right hand because cobra and mr hyde when they see this pile of garbage flying through the sky <laughs> they're gonna say hold on a second <laughs> That pile of garbage is holding a hammer in his left hand, and Thor is right-handed. <laughs> Don't fight that pile of flying garbage. <laughs> Get back to the bank robbery. Again, uh, all of this is a plan to stop a series of heists that have an unwavering MO, right. which was instantly solved by the world's dumbest disabled man two seconds into this comic. Yeah. He's like, oh, they're they're robbing banks using this MO. I could just go listen for that. But no, this is so unnecessary. <laughs> I, uh, I just so, like to imagine that like somewhere in, you know, in, in central Vermont, an eight-year-old Frank Miller is reading this comic and just <laughs> furious. <laughs> like, and he, like, it's like his Batman origin moment. Like he's, uh -huh. he vows at that moment that he is going to move to New York 
he's going to become a comic book artist and he's going to rescue Daredevil from this kind of nonsense. Right. <laughs> he's going to turn this character into Batman. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. The other thing I think we're also doing this here is that the comic keeps stopping every few panels to explain again what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's very complicated. Well, you have to. I mean, Gene Colan is an amazing artist, but there's no way you can convey this insanity with pictures alone. Like sometimes Stan did come up with a lot more of a script before his artists. And I think this is one of those times. And Gene is like, okay, well, did his best. I, I, I need a paycheck. So here we go. I do like that. He calls foggy tubby just really casually. He calls his good <laughs> yeah. friend tubby. It's a lot of, yeah. Mike Murdoch, uh, a lot of fat jokes, uh, with, yeah, with, he's, uh, foggy. he's not kind. Yeah. He's got to make sure foggy doesn't, uh, you know, know that it's mad. Yeah. Of course. Cause it's not enough just to gaslight your friend. You also right. just have to humiliate him in front of the woman who he's in love with. Yep. Yeah. So yep. yeah. But what it's like, he, he's wearing, Three store-bought Halloween costumes. He's probably not looking <laughs> super slim. Hold on a second, fat garbage Thor. The real Thor uses his hammer with his right hand. Uh, fat garbage Thor might be the next T-shirt I make. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, after all of this painstaking layering of costumes, uh, he wears it for about twenty minutes uh, before the lame Dr. Blake hears reports of a Thor impersonator in the skies. It's like breaking news. This (laughs) fucking crazy person is dressed like Thor garbage. Now back to your regularly scheduled radio show. (laughs) Uh, So what the master plan of luring the villains managed to lure Thor, which didn't occur to Daredevil at any point. So Thor finds Daredevil immediately uh, then tries to beat the crap out of him, even after he realizes it's Daredevil. And how does he realize it's Daredevil? Uh, this is what we hinted earlier with the amazing powers <laughs> of wind. He, has, he, he creates a special tornado that only removes your outer layer Halloween costume. Right. <laughs> it's the strip tornado, but not set to yeah. full nude. Yeah. Um, I don't like that Thor can do this. <laughs> I don't like the delicacy with which he's done it. <laughs> How do you know specifically (laughs) how precise you can be with this? Who else have you done this to, Thor? (sighs) It's unsettling. Yeah, Um, I don't don't like it. I also, one of the things I love about Thor uh, is he treats everyone as if they're like the king of the frost giants. Like he will throw a battleship crushing punch. And if you don't get out of the way of it, you will die. Like he does this all the time. When they unfroze Captain America, the first thing Thor did was throw his mighty hammer at him in a submarine. (laughs) Like, he just does not care. And so here he's trying to punch Daredevil's head off and Daredevil gets out of the way, but like, he would have died. Oh, he punches, like Daredevil ducks and he punches a tree over behind Daredevil. Thor is saying, but since thou art merely mortal, I shall apply but a fraction of my Asgardian strength. (laughs) And a fraction of his Asgardian strength is still crushing a tree. Yeah. Also worth pointing out that the Daredevil went out to fight villains that that did okay against Thor mm-hmm. before, you know, uh, strong enough and uh, at least wily enough to fight with Thor together. To is that now, point, Daredevil does not do well when he fights Cobra and Mr. Hyde. He is not set up for right. success. <laughs> yeah. Basically, Daredevil puts on a good enough performance with thor that thor is like okay fine you can go beat up my villains right and then takes off like but uh cobra and mr hyde were watching them beat each other up all of this was pointless (laughs) 
<laughs> the minute that Thor leaves, they're like, okay, let's go get uh, Daredevil. And that's what they do. They jump him as soon as Thor leaves. And I love this so much. Yeah. I want to talk about this because okay, Daredevil it. obviously can hear because right. he's got super hearing. So he hears Mr. Hyde jumping at him. Right. And his plan is to let this Thor class super strong guy grab him by the neck. Yeah. For no reason. He's just, oh, this will, I'll get the drop on him by letting him put me in the most lethal chokehold. <laughs> so he gets stuck in this chokehold and then he does what the comic describes as muscle contraction, meaning Daredevil's boxing training. I don't even know if he has ninja training at this point in his career. He had his boxing training lets him shrink his skull because that's what we're talking about here. We've all been in a headlock and to get out of a headlock, you twist and wiggle. Right. You don't, you don't just shrink the size of your head, yeah. which is what he does to escape. It's yep. like he unflexes his jaw to such a point that his, right. his you know, lantern jaw shrinks and he can sh just slip out. It's like being able to dislocate your jaw or your whole face. I don't yes. know. Yeah. And I, I don't think it, it any good. it's not like he ducks out of it and he's like, now that I'm under his armpit, I have him at a disadvantage. <laughs> it's just like, I, I don't understand any of his decisions in this whole comic. And yeah. then, uh, by the way, Cobra hits him in the back of the head with a karate chop, and he's out. And then they leave. <laughs> the reason he's alive is they they decide to leave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because Hyde says, don't finish him off. I have a better idea. Yeah. Uh, so they run back to Hyde's laboratory. Let so me they, cut you off one more time. Yep, go they for get, it. They get in a car, and um, they start the car, and Daredevil screams that they're headed for the haunted hill with this old deserted barn. Like they haven't started moving in the direction the car is facing <laughs> and Daredevil knows their final destination by yeah. the, the direction they parked. Like that's kind of an amazing feat. Well, if you had super sensitive taste buds, you'd be able mm -hmm. to do that too. You could so. taste the barn yeah. on their thoughts. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they get to uh, uh, Daredevil uh, crashes through the skylight of the lab and this is when uh, Mr. Oh, yeah. Hyde, uh, he's, he's been cooking up a formula and he throws it in Daredevil's face. And then uh, Mr. Hyde and, uh, and Cobra take off. Um, and the formula was meant to uh, blind the person that it hits. But because Daredevil's already blind, it deadens all of the senses, <laughs> which just turns him into a regular blind guy. So let, let, let's, 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 let's zoom out here, okay? So... Stan had an idea where this story would begin with Matt Murdock learning that Cobra and Mr. Hyde had busted out of prison and mm -hmm. they were committing some robberies. He wanted it to end with Daredevil losing his super senses. So he's right. just a regular blind person. And this is the path Plan. he took. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, yeah, this was uh, outside of the Ant-Man, early Ant-Man, Larry Lieber stories. Yeah the most nonsensical thing even magneto you know taking over the x mansion and using magnetic powers to hypnotize people and whatever else he did right seemed to make more sense to me than every decision in this comic book by yeah. matt murdoch yeah yep uh, absolutely i think like rube goldberg should have gotten a writing credit on this it's <laughs> insane i think um ether should have got a writing credit on this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I don't know, man. That's that's Daredevil number thirty. Uh, it, it's simultaneously the worst, but also best Daredevil story I think I've read um, so far. <laughs> having uh, Thor show up and having that, and uh, I've got to remember. I mean, we'll review this, but just this this 
three costume garbage store, fat yeah. garbage store. Um, <laughs> uh, makes it all worthwhile. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I took some notes on this last week. And um, it, and this, this is the final two sentences of my notes. It says, the plan was to hit him in the face with blindness potion. And it worked. Daredevil is blind. That's the end. What? That's what I, that's how I, that's the note I left for myself. A lot of that is in all caps, by the way. Yep. I was truly bothered by how insane it all was. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wild. It's a wild trip. So we're going to talk about not brand Eck number one. Uh, this may be the first and last time we talk about <laughs> uh, But so what this is, um, it's it's Marvel's first attempt at a humor uh, comic. Um, it would not be their last. Um, it's really obviously modeled after Mad Magazine, um, which started out in 1952 as an EC comic book. Uh, then it became a magazine um, so that it could avoid regulation by the comics code. Um, and it's really clear that that's what, I mean, the style of humor is exactly the same. And it's like right down to the cover of Not Brand Eck, which is the exact same joke as the cover of Mad Magazine number one. Uh, it came out uh, almost a decade after Cracked. Uh, perhaps you mm. have some passing familiarity with Cracked, Sean. Oh, yeah. I've heard um, of that. Yeah. That was founded in 1958, um, which had the same style of humor, it had the ridiculous mascot character. And they all basically followed the same like humor style that Harvey Kurtzman set up for Matt in, in 52. Um, and Brand Eck is how Marvel referred to DC Comics in all of their like bullpen bulletins and things like that. Um, it's a play on Brand X, which is like an advertising thing at the time. Um, the tagline of not Brand Eck is who says a comic book has to be good. And it totally lives up to that tagline. Mm. There's a lot of bad jokes in here, um, but I'm going to challenge us to count the ones that we thought were legitimately funny, if any of oh. them were. Oh, so, geez. yeah. Um, so, okay, there's four stories. Uh, the first one is uh, the silver. Oh, wait, hang on. Oh, it's <laughs> going to be good. So good. <laughs> the silver burper. Oh. Written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby. With Jack Kirby, <laughs> I didn't even get the credit right. Um, I guess it was uh, he, uh, Frank Giacoya, uh inked it. So yeah, it's a parody of the Cosmic Doom storyline from Fantastic Four fifty-seven to sixty. One of you guys is going to have to start talking because already I'm starting okay. to get a headache about this thing. So right off the bat, parody is I think a strong word for what this is. <laughs> I think when you're parodying your own work. Um, I don't, I don't want to get into the rules of comedy. I know you okay. brought me on as a comedy scientist, but a lot of the, a lot of the comedy rules we have is basically just um, for like assholes. You know what I mean? We make these rules so you don't break them. Like, hey, you don't joke about this type of thing. Right. And of course you can if you know what you're doing. So the idea is you don't parody yourself specifically because Stanley doesn't have the comedy talents to do so. But also... <laughs> More importantly, Stanley has created this world of, of sincerity where very, very dumb things happen. It's very, very silly. We just talked about Daredevil 30, which is absolutely insane. <laughs> and so the idea of the person who is capable of that parroting themselves, it's at best going to come across as an apology or shame. It's just right. going to be sort of like, yeah, oh, I'm, I'm a total fucking idiot sometimes. 
And here, like, let me give you an example. Like, um, the Invisible Woman, who was written by Stan Lee for, for many, many issues, once decided that dogs could smell her because she's invisible and like that's her weakness is dogs. So she was sitting around mixing perfumes to try to create a scent that could foil a dog's sense of smell. And it was not working. She just was mixing perfumes and the dogs could still smell her as you imagine they would because <laughs> perfume mixed with perfume, they don't negate things. So that was like four panels of a real comic that Stanley wrote. And so obviously, this guy has just a contempt for the minds of women. And so if you were to do a parody of a Stanley work, then you would have like the invisible woman, like wander into traffic while she was invisible and get hit by a car because they can't see her, which he did literally two different times in the run of Fantastic Four. So the idea of parodying Stanley's work is totally valid and could be very funny, but not by the person who sincerely thinks like, oh yeah, this lady might mix perfumes to trick dogs. If I was writing Not Brandeck and I did a gag where she was mixing perfumes to trick dogs, I'd be very happy with that joke under the context of it being written by someone who's not Stan Lee. Someone making fun of Stan Lee for being that ridiculous. Right. That's a real joke. The context is so important and the context of this guy parodying himself ruins everything. Like there, there, there can't be a good joke just from that dark umbrella of context that he's under. Yeah. So... I guess that's my my basic comedy science. I think that's that is. I mean, that's actually legit. incredibly insightful. Um, He's invalidated his entire the entire conceit of this comic is, is invalidated by by who he is and what he's trying to do. <laughs> that's you put way more thought into that than I did because basically my response to it is this is just him coming up with words that sound like other words of characters. Right. Like like it's not Doctor Doom. It's Doctor Bloom. Right. It's not the, the silver surfer, it's a silver burper. Like and again, like, if if you were if you tweeted something like, Hey, my three-year-old can't get any of the names in Fantastic Four right, she calls the thing the thong. That's right. maybe adorable. Like like you would maybe tell a at close best, friend about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If the kid is five, then you're like, okay, there's something there might be something wrong with my kid. <laughs> like this is a grown-ass man right. talking about characters that he was like instrumental in designing. And he's just like, What if his name was Bim? <laughs> <laughs> like no dude like you yeah. had your chance to name him bim and you didn't if yeah. you would have thought that'd be good then you should have named him bim you know bim isn't a pun on anything it's not you can't even get behind like <laughs> at least dr bloom would have been clever if he had flower powers but he doesn't it just sounds like doom yeah yeah, I, I, yeah. that's what I, I expected like maybe he would be called like ben gloom or something you know like sure that uh, was funnier yeah, All yeah, I know. Funnier. I can I can be funnier than this, and yeah. I don't try to be funny, and I'm not that funny. So, um, you know, it's just this is this is really dreck. Like I think I th I thought the molecular twangulator on on Reed's chest in the very first panel, I thought the twangulator was kind of funny because it's just it's making fun of the crazy, you know, physics pseudoscience speak that happens in that was to me the shining joke of the entire thing. Yeah. Just, I thought that I made a little, huh, you know, that was the closest thing to a laugh I had. Yeah. And, and I thought maybe that was going to set the tone for um, something funny. Little when did I saw you know that, that was the high point. The building <laughs> yes. was, when I saw the Baxter building was actually called the Bobster building. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> it's oh. not the same. Because it's not the same as the thing. Oh, I see. They took oh. the word and they changed it. Now yeah. I get it. Like Wancy Street. Yeah. Like Wancy huh. Street and Aunt Pneumonia. Yeah. It's, it, it also follows the, I, 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 like, in a very, very superficial level, early mad comedy structure, like parody structure of we are just going to throw a million gags into a panel. Right. Just silliness. And just silliness. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's not funny. It's just like vaguely amusing or it's silly. I mean, it's exactly what you just said. Um, right. I think Stan Lee is obviously very charming. And I think most people who spend time around Stan Lee describe him as funny. Yeah. And he has sort of just like that endless, you know, arsenal of like one-liners and gags. He's like the funny uncle or whatever. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. and so sometimes when they're getting into like that, you know, tit for tat and like these words, there's like eight word bubbles in a panel and one of the characters will say something that's kind of cute, like a Stanley's type of thing. Um, you're like, all right, I guess. But the thing they're reacting to is like, I'm in a giant ice cream cone, like, oh, bleh, uh, here's a silly thing about ice cream. Uh. <laughs> and then one guy will be like, you know, this is fucking stupid. And you're like, okay, I like that part where that guy suddenly re recognized all of this as, as insane. So much of this is such a such a failure and a basic concept that like it's hard to criticize it. It's just like yeah. all of it should be thrown out. That that first comic is just like you're making fun of a thing you made and doing a terrible job of it in, in its toddler-like silliness. Yeah. Yeah. That, and in um, fact, it it's uh, in like to your point earlier, it undermines the the story itself like the the way this parodies i think when doom do, or dr bloom sorry guys um <laughs> was uh trying to pretend to uh to be a, a kind of malevolent leader it was hilarious in the actual story with the silver surfer where he's yeah. tricking the silver surfer right uh so the parody or whatever you want to call it version of it um he's saying some even uh, more things he puts a halo over his head but it, it's it's way less funny um the silver burper um falls for it similarly mm -hmm. but so i'm just like all, all you've done is uh dumbed down for somehow the original story <laughs> yeah. uh and yeah the only redeeming uh the panel i saved from this was uh just Doc, Dr. Bloom getting ready to uh, destroy the whole world. And Reed says, perhaps we should let him do it, darling. And she, Sue says, it's what mankind deserves for reading Brand Eck. And I was like, that's how I feel right now, for real. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But he, another thing about Sue Storm, who I legitimately hate, I should make that clear. I think uh, for several decades, she was the worst character in Marvel Comics. She, uh, she gave up all the time. That was like a character trait of her, like, like one of my favorite panels is uh, she turns invisible to try to trick Molecule Man and he covers her in newspapers and she just <laughs> instantly just get, oh, I'm so useless. I think she even says something <laughs> like that. So like having her decide that, oh, you know, it's time to give up. Let, let the earth die is a very like Sue Storm thing to say, but he's the person who invented that character right. and made her like this insecure wreck. Right. And so anyone else, if they would have said like, you know what would happen here? Sue Storm would just give up instantly and hope that the whole world dies. Like that's yeah, that's funny if literally any non-Stanley person writes it. And and I I also don't know like I have not got I I've read some like Mad Magazine stuff from the like late fifties early sixties, but 
I mean, was there just like a lower threshold of what was considered funny? You know, because like you go back and you watch comedy TV shows of the time. Like this is like the Gilligan's Island era, right? So it's like there's not a lot of hilarity on there. There's like sure. it's like mild amusement. You but know? like Dick but Van Dyke show had better jokes true. than anything in this thing. And that's I, actually I, true. I don't, I don't know why that was the one I picked out of the air. I was thinking well, of like I mean, Bewitched. It's, a, it's solid sure. though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a there's Mary Tyler Moore. Hee haw. Yeah. <laughs> like laughing was he that, rushes this. He, no. They'll pop out of the hay and be like, "I should have gone," and then they'll jump back in the hay. Awesome every yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. But there's there's no structure to this. It's just, I mean, it, it is sort of like the proto Family Guy, where it's just like, let's cram as many jokes as we can into here that have no context whatsoever, um, and we'll just hope yeah. a couple of them land, but. Um, but even like Family Guy has a way better hit ratio than this. Yeah, does. this is these aren't jokes. Most of them. Well, I mean, just the, calling Weed Witchards is the advantage. A joke. I mean, we everyone criticizes Family Guy for the clumsy reference, sure. and um, and I, it's a very low level of humor to just say like, "Oh, hey, I'm you know Aquaman," and all of a sudden I'm Family Guy. I'm sort of making reference to Aquaman. Right. We're in the universe where like these people exist. So like, here right, comes right. the Human Torch, and it's like, "Oh, I'm a Human Torch like character." You're like, no, dude, you're you're you live in the universe with the human torch. You're not a reference to anything. You're right. just a slightly wrong version. And, and so it's the lowest form of humor and it's getting it wrong. I don't know. It's, it's like Captain America going as Captain America for Halloween. You're like, I, right. don't, I don't get it. I don't yeah. get it. Yeah. You do not get how Halloween works. Like, like you need <laughs> to like explain to this person, they're trying to make me laugh with their like layers of irony and, and, and and I'm like, no, I just I don't think you understand how anything works. Yeah. And as as the audience, I'm like, I don't want to feel like I'm this much smarter than you. Yeah. <laughs> They're funnier. You know, I was thinking about the letters page responses in, in Daredevil or whatever comic where Stan or Roy or whoever's doing it at the time is writing better jokes in a response to a letter than anything right. in the book. Yeah. Um yeah. Well, talking to Roy Thomas, uh, I I want to move on to the next story because we got four of these things to get through. Yeah. Um, so the next one, so this one lost me immediately. It's uh, it's a parody of Marvel's westerns. Um, it's called "The Fastest Gums in the West" because gums is sounds like guns, but is not the same word. Oh, right. Uh, that's yep, uh, and it can refer to someone who's talking a lot. Uh, was it? Did was there a character doing that? I don't know. I mean, every character sort of has that trait in this comic. So, well, like, I'm like, every who, is, every, who are they talking about? Every Marvel about? comic, yeah. <laughs> right. Like right. Every Marvel comic of this era has, like, they're just covered in word balloons. Um, but so this one was written by Roy Thomas. The art was by uh, Marie Severin. Uh, one thing I will say about it is that Marie Severin's art in this is great. Her style, if she can do, like, a parody style of art really, really well. Like, it's it's really funny. It's, it's, it's cartoony, and it's exaggerated, and it, like, it, I mean, the the actual jokes are terrible, but like if you just look at the the pictures, there is a fun cartooniness to it. Other thing I wanted to mention is Roy Thomas almost quit over this story. Why is that? Well, let me tell you. Um, so on page two, uh, if you look at panel number five, it's the rightmost one on the second tier. Like one of the characters is wearing a little button on his hat. Um, this is. It says all the way with LBJ and it has a little mushroom cloud. Um, <laughs> okay. And that was a, this is so 
this is not going to be funny. I'm just going to warn you this right now. Uh, so the the gag the gag here is that it's a play on the um, the Daisy uh, ad that uh, LBJ ran in his '64 uh, uh, re-election campaign, mm-hmm. um, where it's like basically he was saying, "Vote for me um, because Barry Goldwater is going to cause a nuclear war and, and kill your kids." And so compelling. Yeah. So basically, t- apparently. Stan was furious that that made it through. He saw it as a dig against LBJ. And he insisted that Roy Thomas had added it after Stan had signed off on the the art. And Roy got really mad at him. He's like, it was there. You didn't see it. It was there. I didn't add anything after you signed off. And Stan wouldn't back down. And Roy came this close to quitting, apparently, before Stan was finally like, we're going to agree to disagree. And that was that. So, so that that little tiny non-joke, or you know, uh, closest thing to a joke, maybe yep. uh, it could have caused a totally different <laughs> Marvel comics. Can you imagine uh, if after this, that, if this comic book had been responsible for Roy <laughs> Thomas leaving Marvel <laughs> before he got good at being a Marvel writer and like did all the stuff he would go on to do? I mean, talk about that would have been the like. It, it could have potentially tanked Marvel Comics. Yeah, in that alternate reality, the Marvel Comics fizzles out in like whatever there, five there years. There should be consequences for something this bad. Like <laughs> this, this should have caused multiple deaths. This <laughs> I, I hate that you can do something this bad with no consequences. Is yeah, point. yeah. But also, Stan like, uh, apparently missed one dude is missing an eye in the panel above that. Like, they just oops, someone forgot to draw an eye, and they're like. <laughs> Do you know? Do you see that? Yeah. yeah, they did sort of just flesh it in uh, with the ink color. There's so yeah. many, and there's like this the running Shane joke, you know, from the the western right. Um, Shane come back. That was probably the funniest thing to me in this this specific this specific. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's story. it's technically a running gag, you know. Yeah, it's a, uh, that's a real that's a real comedy technique <laughs> used by the pros. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to I, talk about the human scorch versus the sunk yeah. mariner see this i actually thought had the highest potential like uh it, there's something about uh, taking a, a look at the same medium 20 years later yes like, alan moore does this all the time of course yeah. where um this could have been really funny to take golden age sensibilities and match it up against the silver age sensibilities right. and and here, like, for example, in the very first panel, like the lettering is different. Yeah. And then then there's a, a panel that says, and if you think our hardworking letterer is going to letter any more panels in this nutty old style, you're out of your tree. Which yeah. is terrible, right? That I mean, it's, it's explaining the joke, but like, it's also like confusing. Like, why, why is lettering this way more difficult? And yet, right. like, they could have done the whole comic like that and sort of let the context of the Silver Age be delivered in that golden age style. I, I right. mean, I do this all the time. It, it, it cracked. I do these things called man comics where I take golden age like stories and I rewrite them with like modern jokes. And I, I find it um, uh, like, it's really fun and it's kind of inspiring because it's just, it feels like you can just make perfect jokes really easily by having one character talk like they live now in the context of like the 50s right um like for example i did one called saul saltine non-racist boy in the year 1950 and so i i put him back i took panels of uh comics from the 50s where like people would be like in full-on blackface like 
like racist caricatures. Yeah. And then one character would just be mortified by that. And it was, it was just really funny to me, the context right. of like someone li living in that universe. Like he would time, he would like quantum leap back in there and then like <laughs> look around and be like, oh my God, what the fuck is wrong with your face? And like that to me was like, that's great. I can get like six pages of jokes out of this. Sure. Yeah. But this doesn't have any of that type of like sensibility. It's just explaining each joke as the basic idea occurs to him. Yes. It's like, I don't want to be here for your pitch meeting, Stan. Like, this is an idea that you're explaining as you execute it. And it's, yeah, basically the whole gag of the thing is because because what it is, is it's meant to be like a parody of the golden age and like looking right. looking back on the golden age submarine and the golden age human torch. And it, but the parody, the joke, the only joke in here is golden age comics do things this way, but silver age comics do things this way. And it's like, right. It, it's like what I it, like there's a bit uh -huh. where they're that like could be, that could be funny where, but I mean they like they point out it's like there's no sound effects you know in golden age comics and that's a joke yeah it, it does it feels flat. like someone wrote a history paper on comics right and then took all these flat humorless observations and just said oh no I let's just list those right <laughs> and, and also mentioned they're from like there uh, there's a panel where uh, sunk mariner uh puts the a a, a glass tube <laughs> over the torch to put right. the flame out and says just now as they said as they said in the old comics gotcha and i'm like did you need to do any of that right. did you need to preface yeah. it that way because um, in old comics they would say crazy things like they'd say i'll settle your hash kimosabi and you're like <laughs> wow like that turn of phrase is dead yeah yeah I'll have somebody say that have the other character be confused it's not a full joke i wouldn't sign off on that but it's <laughs> it's certainly better than this garbage <laughs> and it's also like he puts him out with a fire extinguisher and says actually this kind of stuff wouldn't work in real life what do you expect in a comic written over 20 years ago war and peace like okay all of that's terrible but also stan you just had Thor strip a dude's Halloween costume off with a tornado this very month. <laughs> Sincerely. Yeah. So like, you're like, okay. Yeah. With a fire extinguisher on a flaming guy. That's crazy. Yeah. 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 Uh, also uh, this thing was just, it's like the definition of story by committee. Like it's written by Stan and Roy Thomas, but then the art is by Ross Andrew and Bill Everett and Mickey DeMeo and like, it's, it, it just feels like there were just some pages lying out in the bullpen and right. like, we gotta, we gotta finish this guys. It's like, does anyone have any good like golden age human torch submariner gags? Do you, even if you don't have a good one, just, just draw them on the page and we'll figure something out. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it is reminiscent of like doodles you would do at 10 years old. We are like, oh, Very much. yeah. like, let's just have Snoopy fighting a tight fight and you throw it away. Like it's not a real thing you would show to somebody, but here right. it is in a professional Marvel comic. Yeah. I do like uh, Chaplin America's lowercase a. Um, uh, this is sort of a typography thing, but and they don't point it out. So that's okay. why it might be funny. It's basically the A from the Fantastic Four logo. So it's just this weird style and lowercase. And I'm like, uh, again, huh, that's that's my full laugh. Uh, <laughs> I give it a one tenth chortle. Uh, yeah. But that because they let me just figure it out on my own. Uh, mm -hmm. For some reason, they didn't go out of their way to explain that in old timey yeah. comics they might have had a lowercase letter on their. Belt. Yeah, he he and, didn't like 
do his whole splash page where he points to it and says, do you think this A stands for lowercase France? <laughs> I feel like now I want to take all this material, take every, every word balloon out of it and just hand it to you. Um, yeah. yeah. I would like actually have a good time doing that. Yeah. But I also have the advantage of the context of like, I'm making fun of something, which is right. specifically what this is not doing well. <laughs> yes. yes. And, and so it has that frantic, silly energy of Mad Magazine, but like, Mad Magazine generally was criticizing something. So if you're watching right. like the treatment of Star Trek and Mad Magazine, like they're pointing out the stuff in Star Trek that's silly. Yeah. As if like it shouldn't be. Like if this could have been smarter or this is this is weird and dumb. And this is just pointing at stuff that yeah, you know, I already said this. Like it just it feels yeah. like he's just ashamed of the things he does every day. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like and- like in in what 54 or whatever when Kurtzman did Super Duper Man, you know, in Mad Magazine. It's like superficially it's the same style as this but yeah he wasn't the regular writer or artist on superman and ec comics wasn't publishing superman it's like they yeah. were basically poking fun at superhero comics are dumb and lame and that's in the 50s that's basically where they were at it, it, there was they were on the way out and this is going to be like the nail in the coffin so it's like it actually had like a cultural revel- uh, relevance to it and sure. um and there were some gags from people who did comics but look down their noses at the silliness of superhero nonsense. And there's none of that in here. I mean, these are people who, you know, like, you know, like we've been saying all along, they make their living doing this stuff straight and then they try to make fun of it, but they don't, you know, you can't do anything more ridiculous than what has already appeared in straight Marvel. Right. Yeah. Daredevil 30 is so much funnier than this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, I do think though, the last story, Written by Gary Friedrich, art by John Severin. It, again, his art really works well for the uh, the parody genre, just like his sister uh, Marie. Um, but I guess because the the Sergeant Fury war comics are so serious and straight faced so much of the time, like there's more to make fun of. Uh, I don't know. Like for some reason, sure. like there were there's again, there's not a lot of like really funny bits in this, but it just feels like it it comes a little bit closer to being what they were trying to do with the rest of the book. Also, right. uh Pinko Finkerton uh might just wind up being my new pen name. Um <laughs> Percy Pinkerton, is that his that's the real character's name, right? Yeah. Percy Pinkerton. Percival, yeah. yeah. Percy. Percival Pinkerton, like Pinko Finkerton. I think <laughs> that's a good name. I like that. I will sign off on that. So uh the here's the two gags that work in this there's one uh the no smoking sign behind sergeant fury with an ashtray full of butts and him smoking that just uh, you know at least it's poking fun at a thing that they don't really get into in you know the comics and then his shirt and the shirt gag um throughout this whole thing sergeant furious sorry i misnamed him uh uh his shirt is always ripping are almost ripping and it's it's pretty funny because that is the nick fury deal is his somewhere his shirt's coming off like that's just and that is ridiculous and it should be made fun of and so they did so there you go they got one joke (laughs) i don't know if i'd go all the way to joke but sure (laughs) this is by far the most likable of the four things like yeah like if you showed me this uh i wouldn't it wouldn't occur to me it's the worst comic in the entire world. Whereas the first <laughs> right. three are just clearly trash. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I, the, a couple bits that I thought almost worked as jokes were, um, what, there's a bit where 
Pinko Finkerton, I just wanted to say the name again, uh, <laughs> makes reference to, uh, it, it's like, it's kraut killing time, what? And Happy Sam, I can't think of his parody name. And he's like, uh, we never kill krauts. We might wound them, maim them, stomp them, and rough them up a little, but we never kill them. Don't ever make that mistake or you'll be out in front of a comics code court-martial before you can say England swings. So yeah, it's like it's super meta. Yeah. I mean, it just sort of like, it, it, it sort of almost sort of works right. as a joke, but again, not quite. The other thing I thought was mildly funny, um, but mostly just because it's, it's pretty transgressive right now um, is when uh, all the howlers are storming the, the beach at Normandy, the German howler who uh, Eric Koenig, uh, who switched sides uh, mm -hmm. in the comic, uh, everyone's yelling, wahoo. And he yells, Sig Heil, whoops. Um, so I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It almost works as a joke. The last two examples you gave are like, they're like the starts of jokes. Right. Uh, I mean, it's obvious that like, oh, hey, we're not allowed to kill anybody is a joke. You're going to mention that if you're in G.I. Joe or if you're in Nick Fury or whatever. Right. So now it's just down to execution. And right. it's like, look at how badly they they biffed it on the executioner. <laughs> like, here's here's this hilarious concept of of like this ironic fact about the world, how we're, we're army men that can't kill anybody. You know right. what I mean? Like, like when you watch an old A-Team episode or G.I. Joe episode, like it's so stupid once it occurs to you. Right. And so now you just have to like stick the landing. You just have to right. make the joke work. And it's, it's just this overly wordy, like uh, super close. And this guy like screams Sig Heil and he screams oops. It's like, okay, you f***ing up with the oops, buddy. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. Yeah, <laughs> so much of comedy is instincts, and like these people have just the worst fucking comic <laughs> instincts. I'm really worried that we have damaged your comedy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, your I'm, comedy I'm absolutely less funny after reading this. This is, I mean, I'm. This will be people who are really angry with us. Yeah, this is tune in to One Nine Hundred Hot Dog next week for much less good jokes. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, let's just try to. Go back and remember Fat Garbage Store and then just bask <laughs> yes. in the glory. Yeah. Yep. That was okay. our high point. Back when I could still feel joy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let me just close this out with uh, I don't know if you remember uh, er, way back when we started doing this podcast, uh, I said that there were three conditions mm -hmm. uh, that would have to be met for something to be considered obscene. Um, so uh, <laughs> one of them was uh, the material must be utterly without redeeming social value. Check. I think. I think Nabriad X just clears that bar easily. Um, the material must be patently offensive. Um, I think we're all pretty offended by, you know, um, what we've read here today. Um, and then the, the third thing, though, is the dominant theme must appeal to a prurient interest in sex. Uh, here's, this is a tougher case to make. Yeah, this but is if, a tougher case. If you go to the very last panel of the very first story, um, yep. so one of the gags is that uh, Johnny Storm or whatever his stupid parrot, the human scorch has been stuck inside of a giant ice cream cone to negate yeah. his powers. And in the last panel, Reed is leaning up against that thing and just licking it. <laughs> a big slurp. Yeah. Like it's like a like a horse with a salt lick. Yeah, I and found that very yeah. unsettling when it's, I saw it. And yeah. I, and I've seen I've seen some horrific things in the the land of yeah. Uh, well, in, in any sense of the word. And that still made me unsettled. Yeah. So I would I would say that would be sexually lascivious. Also, um, <clears throat> the thing is turning into Aunt May in the yeah. in the panel, who I you you guys would be good at checking the numbers on this. I think she has had more sex than anyone in the Marvel universe. 
I'm just saying, I'm throwing it out there. It's possible Aunt May, uh, she banged the, the mailman from the Fantastic Four's building. She banged uh, Dr. Octopus. Uh, she banged- JJ, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, she banged Peter Parker after he was uh, in the Superior Spider-Man, like stuck in the memories. So he had to have a first person uh, sexual encounter with his aunt. Oh God. Um, she did, she dated a couple other guys that were just civilians that weren't like, uh, you know. Nathan Lubensky. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Yep. I'm, and I'm saying, I think she put up better numbers than any other Marvel character. So I'm just saying that throw this, it's a, it's a thin addition to your case of, yep. <laughs> of the cunnilingus being applied to the human torch. <laughs> but like, yep. in the same panel as Marvel's most prolific, uh, hungry old lady. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel's horniest grandma. Mar Marvel's horniest grandma. Thank you for that. That's much better. Uh, yeah, and and then in the side of the panel, you've got uh, Sue Storm just looking kind of annoyed and indifferent. So I think mm -hmm. the combination of those three things is someone's very specific fetish. So I am going to classify uh, Not Brand Eck as obscene, uh, and I'm going to declare that we never have to read another one of these. Oh, thank goodness. I didn't want to quit the podcast. I didn't, it, it was getting close <laughs> to a Roy Thomas Stanley deal here over the LBJ <laughs> button. Uh, let's uh, let's close the book on this. Um, take care of our panels of the month uh, for this month. Um, so I will start out, and uh, my panel of the month. So first of all, it's two panels because it's a two-panel gag. And it's uh, from a issue that we didn't talk about in detail. It's Tales of Suspense number 92, the Captain America story. Um, so the panels are page nine, panel five, and page 10, panel one. So this is a fairly famous goof um, in comics. Uh, Captain America is fighting for his life against an AIM android that was sent to assassinate Nick Fury. As Cap catches his breath toward the end of the fight, he says, only one of us is going to walk out of here under his own steam. Turn the page. And it won't be me. <laughs> and that is funnier than anything in Not Brand Eck. It's like a Sid Vicious line. Right? <laughs> let me tell you something, mean Gene. Only one guy is walking out of that. Oh, let me start over. Let me start over. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Rob, you got something? Uh... Uh, mine's pretty simple. Uh, if there's just, you know, I usually go with just what stuck with me. And yeah. after I had read, most of these, and again, I started with not brand X, so I was I was hurt, and then I I tried to just sort of walk it off and read some other comics, uh, but and I love Super Scroll, so it's just Thor punching the Super Scroll. This beautiful panel on uh, Thor one forty two page fifteen panel four, um, Scroll's just bouncing back into the bottom uh, right of the panel, so you're looking down his face past the the punch lines and thor's in the background it's just really exquisite kirby line work too in that and uh just something about the anguish on his face after getting decked is uh it's it's i usually don't I, it's not like the the big violent thing other than like building smashing is what i like but it's very well rendered this is a solid punch nice good punch what do you got sean i am going to select um a collection of three panels when daredevil is getting his clothes torn off by the strip tornado <laughs> and and he thinks to himself he's creating an actual tornado by merely swinging his hammer so he's feeling wonder at this point i've never faced such force such sheer uncontrollable power now he's feeling a little bit of fear 
The fury of a storm is like a living thing, savage, uncontrollable. He's super into this sexually. (laughs) (laughs) It's stripping off my outer costume, peeling the fabric from me like a banana skin. Still sexual. (laughs) Now, he's going through all of these emotions, panic, fear, a little bit of eroticism. And then he says, I'll say one thing for you, Curly. When you make up your mind to do something, you sure don't kid around. Like he's completely (laughs) forgotten his own inner monologue and he's just like having a good time while he's almost certainly going to die. Like there's no reason to think this should just tear off one of his Halloween costumes. This is how he (laughs) dies. He's sure of it. No, he's just having a good time. I love it. What a journey we get taken on. It's it's amazing. Well, you know, and also it's possible that uh, that's Matt Murdock's inner monologue and Mike Murdock's dialogue. That's a really good point. You know, I think really what that is, is it's a very uh, subtle bit of complex uh, personality layering by Stan. (laughs) Sean, thank you so much for coming back and doing another one of these with us. Um, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, what can we uh, spread the word about for you? Uh, every day, every weekday, go to 1900.com, uh, 1900hotdog.com, I should say. I should probably get my website right. Uh, <laughs> expert plugger. Uh, yeah, we do jokes about, um, you know, weird stuff. Cultural artifacts from the wrong dimension is sort of our thing. It's fun. Every weekday, come to our Patreon. We do two free things a week. So if you, if you don't want to give me money, that's fine too. Awesome. There you go. And as for us, uh, so uh, Apple Podcast Reviews, we're still collecting those. If you listen on the Apple platform, give us a five-star review. Um, then take a screenshot of that review uh, and email it to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com with a mailing address, uh, and we will send you some goodies because um, we're nice like that. And um, uh, yeah, thanks again to John Hodgman for giving us one of those reviews uh, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> while we were talking to him. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's as good as his word. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Marvel by the month. Uh, and then Marvel by the month.com has links to all of our other social channels, as well as our merch shop, uh, which has, uh, the, uh, stay inside and read comics, Mjolnir t-shirt that Rob designed. Uh, Rob is the ringer, uh, version of that up on the shop. I believe it is already available now. I, I, I'll have to remember. I went into a frenzy of posting illustrations and different things and, uh, sweet. But uh, yeah, that should be available on the shop now. So it's like a even more retro version of the Stay Inside and Read Comics. Nice. And we've got some more stuff uh, coming up. So definitely check that out. Um, And that's pretty much it. Uh, So uh, until next week, uh, my name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. And we hope that you will stay safe and stay healthy and stay inside and read comics. (laughs) 